this, but how many of y'all maybe grew up uh, watching Westerns? Did any of you grow up watching Westerns or you like Westerns even today? Man, I love a good Western movie or good Western TV show. Uh, anytime it's on or, you know, nowadays, a lot of people don't even have cable. So, you, you know, there's the different apps and stuff like that you can download to watch them. But um, <clears throat> the the genre of Western films wasn't even really popular at all. It wasn't even a thing really until about 1915 to 1920, somewhere around there is when it really started. But actually it became popular because of one man and one man only. And what was that man's name, everybody? John Wayne, otherwise known as the Duke, the Duke himself, all right? And he was just an absolute legend. I mean, the guy was so talented uh, just at that specific genre. I mean, he made over 100 films just in the 1930s, guys, just in the 30s. Uh, it was amazing what he was able to do and to popularize a genre of film. Uh, and then actually it popularized it so much that more and more people started to pick up on this. Well, there's an audience here, okay? Hollywood started to pick up on this. And so then some TV series started to come out, which my favorite TV series happens to be this one right here. It is called Bonanza. Bonanza! I love Bonanza. All right, we're like, we're just loving life. Anytime you hear that, you know it's about to be a good, family-friendly, wholesome episode of greatness, all right? My favorite, though, was Little Joe. I mean, uh, you could probably tell which one's Little Joe. He's the swag-looking, amazing dude right here. He's just an absolute, like, he, just look at him. He's a great-looking guy, you know? And he was always fun. He was cool. He had that swag, but he's also talented and skilled. And, and you know, I just love that show because the brothers, you know, they fight, and then they're with their dad. It's just such a fun show. And then you go into the 60s and the 70s then, and then somebody else pops onto the scene, you punk. All right, no, it's <laughs> who was it? It was Clint Eastwood himself. All right, Clint Eastwood is an absolute legend, and he is still making movies today, y'all. This man doesn't know how to rest. All right, he is still writing, acting, starring, producing. I mean, he's in just about everything. But he, he just look at that growl. I mean, he still has it to this day, man. You look at that man, and you're like, I ain't trying to mess with this dude, okay? Uh, but Clint Eastwood made some great westerns as well. And, and what's the premise of? a Western film or a Western TV show, okay? Usually they're all exactly the same, all right? It is the same premise for every single one of John Wayne's movies. It is about the same thing, okay? Just a different town with a different bad guy and John Wayne is the dude that saves the day, okay? For the most part, what is it? It's a small town, usually getting invaded by some outlaws, okay? Invaded by some mean cowboys, whatever it might be. And then the locals have to band together with a few, with a ragtag group of people and usually led by a hero like John Wayne or led by the heroes of Bonanza or whatever it might, you might have. And and they get together and they have a standoff and then they have this big gunfight at the end and they kill the bad guys and then yay, everybody wins. And now we're not plundered and we have all of our stuff and we weren't robbed and all of our women weren't taken away and stuff like that. I mean, like it's basically, that's the premise of every single Western show, okay? Uh, but these outlaws, they come into town and they're always causing trouble. And you always gotta wonder, okay, like what's the story behind these dudes? There's always like the legend has it. That outlaw Joe was, you know, like they always like say it all crazy like like that. But what is an outlaw actually? What is an outlaw? It's basically somebody that was deemed as outside of the protection of the law. They had done something so bad. They had done something so ter terrible 
that the lawmakers themselves said, listen here, I mean, if anybody kills you, that's cool with us. So much so that they would actually even put a bounty on some of these people's heads. And that's where you get the wanted signs, wanted posters and all that. That's where that comes from. These are outlaws and they would put a bounty on their head. Well, did you know that Jesus was an outlaw himself? Maybe a little bit of a different way. Okay, not like the bad guys, good guys, cops and robbers, you know, cowboy kind of outlaw. But Jesus basically did the same thing. He came to town, to Jerusalem, right, with his ragtag group of people with him, and then ends up being killed by the local leaders that were there. Gets killed by the people that maybe even seemed at the time like they were the real heroes of the story by killing the outlaw, the guy that was breaking the Jewish law that they had had and held so close to them for years and years and years. And they end up killing this guy, but little did they know that they were actually... The, the, the bad guys themselves and Jesus was the hero of the story. They pinned him as an outlaw because they thought that he was breaking this Old Testament law that they held so close to them. He was going against the grain of traditions and they called him a heretic because he was breaking these long held religious beliefs. But most of these beliefs that they had and these rules and restrictions that they said were a part of their religious law that was in the Bible was actually man-made. And they made plans to arrest him on false charges. And that is exactly what they did. And so in this series called Outlaw, we're going to look at how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, established a new law himself, and then challenged religious hypocrisy and legalism all along the way. And so I want to invite you onto this journey. Uh, you know, get on your horse and we're going to ride together for the next four weeks, okay? We're going to go on this journey. Today, we're talking about Jesus the outlaw, how he fulfilled the law himself. But then next week, we're talking about uh, this, uh, this one, Jesus the table flipper is next week, which I'm real excited about that one. How many of you know Jesus had some righteous anger, okay? He flipped them tables up in that temple and it was awesome. So we're gonna talk about it. Uh, and the little, that little tagline like this, Jesus turned the tables on him. Ooh, man, that's good. Anyway, Jesus the jokester is week three, but if you know, Jesus had a sense of humor. Did you know that? Jesus was actually pretty funny, okay? You might not catch it if you don't actually understand some of the stories and some of the words that he actually uses when he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, to these religious leaders. But he actually used sarcasm on a few instances and occasions to really jab at them. And it is so, so funny. And so we're gonna talk Jesus the outlaw, but Jesus the jokester there. And then week four, we're talking about Jesus the politician, Jesus, the politician. Now we hate politicians. You know what I mean? Like politicians are like, you don't really serve us, right? You know, we're always complaining about politicians. They're always doing something wrong, right? Unless they're doing something right, we don't even know it, but they do something wrong. Everybody knows it, okay? And usually we got some issues with them, but listen, Jesus was a good kind of politician. Why? Because he actually created a new law, a new way of living that was much greater and much better than the old law and the old way that they had been living. So I encourage you to invite some people to the next four weeks to this series, The Outlaw, because it's going to be really, really awesome. Okay. Our text for today is Matthew 5, 17 through 18. If you have your Bible, if you have your apps, you can turn there. That's kind of where we're gonna be. We're gonna jump all over, but we will come back to this as well. Matthew 5, 17 through 18. It should be up on the screens for you. Let's read it. Do not think, Jesus talking here, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help me to communicate this word that you've given me today for a time such as this. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't come to abolish this law that had been given, but you, you brought a new way and, and you fulfilled the law yourself. The law pointed to you, Jesus, and we're thankful, so, so thankful for you and what you did for us on the cross. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So to best understand this passage, right, this passage about the law, okay, you have to understand what law is he talking about. And and, and to understand that, we got to go all the way back to the book of Exodus, people. Okay, we got Genesis, Exodus. So it's the second book in your Bible. You're going to go all the way back to the beginning to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Israelites are wandering out in the desert, They had just been freed from slavery in Egypt, okay? They fought a few people, but they hadn't really done too terribly much at this point. And then God brings Moses up onto this mountain called Mount Sinai to give him the laws uh, that they are going to to operate by as a people and how they're going to relate to God and relate to one another. And so you might have seen in movies like Moses with his beard and his his robes and he's coming down with the Ten Commandments and he's like, here are the Ten Commandments on these big old tablets, okay? Uh, But what most people don't understand is while there were those tablets, they were the Ten Commandments, There was a lot more laws than that. There were hundreds of laws, and it was actually called the Mosaic Law since it was given to Moses. Super creative, right? There we go. The law can be divided into three categories, actually. It should be up on the screen here for you. The first one is the moral law. This deals with God's rules for moral, holy, and pure living. And this is actually the Ten Commandments, right? These are the things that you see like, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We all agree these are bad things, right? I mean, this is a moral law. This is a good thing. And actually, uh, different nations and tribes and people groups, ever since these laws were given, have taken these moral laws and adapted them. Even the United States of America was built off of the Bible and off of these moral laws. Of course, do we have some issues? Yes. Was it built off of some other things that we don't like? Absolutely. But it still had this idea of, hey, it's going to be built off of these moral laws that were found in the Bible, okay? Then the second was the civil law, which was dealing with Israel's legal and social life as a nation. So how are we going to interact with one another? All right. So we figured out how we're going to interact with God. All right. This is, this is the moral law that we just, everybody needs to know, but how are we going to interact with one another? Laws like if somebody has, you know, uh, you know, I accidentally killed your cow or something like that. Well, how are we going to settle that? You know, I accidentally did this, or maybe somebody goes against and, and, you know, is having a fight with his, you know, sister's brother. I mean, they're literally so specific. Sometimes these laws that they get into, uh, but it's, how are we dealing with each other? And then also, how are we dealing with the nations that are around us? Different nations. Maybe somebody wants to come in from another nation and be a part of our people. Well, what's the law? Like, how are we going to handle like immigration? in a sense, right? And then you have the third one, which is ceremonial law, which outlines the form and ritual of the worship of God. So God actually gave them a way to worship him. This is how I want you to worship me. He was very, very specific about that. And it was a very important thing for them to do in terms of how do you come before me? What kind of sacrifices and offerings are you going to bring before me? 
what kind of clothes are you going to wear? What, like, and they get to this point where there's even like certain uh, things that they have to build in order to worship the Lord in the fullest way that they can and to host the presence of the Lord. There's all kinds of things that they end up doing. But there's some funky laws in here too, y'all. Have you ever read the Old Testament law? There's some weird stuff in there. Some super weird stuff. And of course, because I am who I am, I figured I'd show you a few of them, all right? Let's, let's have some fun. One of them is do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material, Leviticus 1919. Uh, all those guys that were up here, you know, I don't know if it was fully cotton or not, but anybody wearing like a, a dual blend or tri-blend shirt, like polyester cotton or something like that, you're like, I don't know what I'm wearing. Half of y'all are probably wearing some kind of the dual blend or tri-blend shirt and you're all sinning. You're all a bunch of sinners right there. It says it. Do not wear clothing. Woven of two kinds of material. Listen, I, we're going to have to have repentance right now in the name of Jesus, Okay. This one right here, I think, is very relevant to us today. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> Exodus 23, 19. Now, aside from the fact that that is just messed up, okay, we don't really know why that, that they were given that law. Some of these laws were like, man, I, you can't really contextualize that one very well. There's a few different possibilities on why they were given those laws. But uh, Lord, I don't think anybody's trying to do that here. I don't know if anybody got any goats or anything like that, but I'm certain that you're not trying to boil them in the mother's milk. So I think we're good on that one. The shirt one, we'll talk about that later, okay? Uh, but why did God give them these laws? I feel like if you know the law, and, and we know this, but why did they even have it in the first place? And I think for that, you have to go even farther back all the way to the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, right? Satan immediately now gains a foothold and gains all over humanity. Sin has now entered into the world and now has corrupted this beautiful thing that God had created. God's plan was that it was gonna be beautiful, that everything was gonna be perfect, that there'd be a relationship with him. It would just be this awesome thing where we could just walk around. At the very beginning, you even see Adam and Eve are just walking around and they're just talking to the Lord, okay? It's not like they were separated at all. There was no issues whatsoever. And then the crops would grow and it'd be easy. We wouldn't really have to work. We'd just hang out and have a great time in the presence of the Lord with, each, with one another. Childbirth would be easy and all the women said, hello, I saw a few women today that brought in their newborns, okay? And y'all are all like, mm-hmm, Eve, that would have been a lot easier had you not eaten the apple, okay? You know, Adam's all over here like, she made me do it and he's sinning and everything. Oh my goodness. So sin comes into the world. Sin messes all of that up. And now things are gonna be more difficult. People are gonna be influenced by that sin, by Satan. And now we're gonna have to come to God for forgiveness from this sin, and then just a little bit later, God talks to a, a guy called Abram who eventually becomes Abraham. And he gives him a very simple promise. Essentially, that is, your descendants will outnumber the stars and your descendants are gonna be my people and I'm gonna give them a land to occupy, which would eventually become Israel. That would eventually become the nation of Israel. So now fast forward again, we're finally here. We're out of Egypt, we're out of slavery, and these people are walking around through with Moses. Israelites are God's chosen people, and he wants them to live a holy life set apart from all these other nations around them because there's been so many more nations that have been built over the course of human history at this point, and there's other nations, and they're honestly terrible, terrible people. They're immoral. They've been corrupted by the sin that's been in this world, and sexual immorality is rampant, lying, theft, murder. 
worship of other false gods, all kinds of things. And God says, you know what? I don't want sin to define my people. So I have to set some laws and rules and boundaries to set them apart from the nations that are around them. And God basically gives Moses these laws in a way to define the relationship. It's a little DTR that God had to do with Moses and the people, all right? He said, hey, let's define this relationship here. Because if you're gonna be my people, And we're going to have this thing going on here. Listen, I'm a holy and perfect God and I can't be around sin. And so we're going to have to figure out a way to to, to work with one another uh, as as I'm going to have this relationship with you. You're going to have this relationship with me. And then you have to have relationships with each other and then the nations around you. Let's define a few of those parameters and guidelines that we have. But many people, they look to this God of the Old Testament. They see all these rules and restrictions and all these things. And what do they see it at? They see it as rules and restrictions from some angry God or some angry being that's upset, telling you what you can and what you can't do, trying to control these people. And honestly, this just isn't true at all. Parents, you ever had to make a rule that your kids didn't like? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You had to make some kind of rule that your kids didn't like. Maybe students that are in here today, you're like, yeah, I know. I didn't get to go to the escape room because mom didn't let me. You know what I mean? Like they have some rules that maybe you don't like. And maybe sometimes kids, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, you don't understand it fully, but you might hear something parents like, mom, why does Allison get to go to the party, but I can't, ugh, you know? Like going like this and everything all huffy and puffy and just like, come on, this is so stupid, mom. Why am I not allowed to go to this thing? I see a kid literally just rolled her eyes at her mom right now, okay? <laughs> I saw that, I saw that. You know where you at, okay? Anyway, anyway, dad, I can't believe you. This is so dumb. Ugh. Why does Josh get to worship other gods and eat food sacrificed to idols? This is so dumb, dad. You know, like this is the kind of things that I feel like that the Israelite people might've been saying to their fathers, the, the kids and all that stuff. And they're seeing these other nations, the way that they live. Like, why can't I be like them? Why can't I do this? But listen, sometimes your kids are not gonna see it the way that it was intended, right? They see some of these rules and these things that we set as controlling or unfair. You're angry, manipulative. You're just trying to make a power grab. But parents, we know why we make the rules, right? It's because we want to give these guidelines for our children to set them up for health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not that we are against you. We literally love you. And this is the way that we are going to interact with one another. These are the boundaries that we're going to set so that we can have a healthy relationship. So you're not an angry, mean parent, the same way that God wasn't angry or mean to them, but this is what the Old Testament law was for. And when people do say that God seems like this angry God, you gotta think what they just came out of. God had literally freed them from slavery right before this, right before, just a few chapters, freed from slavery, number one. I think just that right there is enough, okay? But not only that, he has given them a leader who is Moses, leading them into the promised land where he says it's flowing with milk and honey. It's like, I'm taking you to Candyland, guys. Like, what is your problem? Like, just follow the rules, all right? If you'll just do what I say, things will be great. He gives them victory over every enemy that they face. Every single enemy. Anytime they come against somebody, it's just like they just fall over dead. You know, it was super easy for them. They just take the land and take the ground. And then this is probably the best part because I love carbs, okay? He rains bread down from heaven so that they will have food to eat. Come on, how many of you would love some Olive Garden breadsticks raining down on top of you every day to eat? Praise Jesus, God is good. God was not trying to control them. He was trying to help them with this law. So Moses comes down from the mountain, right? 
And he relays what the Lord had told him. And all the people say, is Exodus 19, 8. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, no, you won't, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> they messed up many times. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Sure, okay. There's 613 laws. 613. Now, the estimates are off, you know, based off of if you count them twice, or some people would say a different number, but that's kind of the general consensus. A little over 600 laws. That is a lot of laws to try to remember. That's a lot of rules and things that you have to live your life by on a regular basis. Listen, my wife tells me to do the dishes, and I have a hard time remembering that. And my Bible is now wanting me to pass the bar exam, okay? Like, this is a difficult kind of set of restrictions and rules that I'm going to have to remember. But thankfully, God never expected them to follow the law perfectly. And that's why as a part of the law, he made provisions for what to do if you messed up the law. What were those provisions? It's a sacrificial system, right? This is how they would come to God if they messed up. When they needed to receive forgiveness from God because they messed something up in the law, they would have this sacrificial system. And this is vitally, vitally important. Why is this important? Because without this way of coming to God for forgiveness, the first time, kids, students, the first time that you told your mom, I hate you, why don't you just go away? And then you run off. Well, now you've dishonored your father and mother, you've broken the 10 commandment, and you're eternally condemned to hell. So, you know, like, sorry, that's it. Yeah, you know, that, you know, you messed up and there's no way for forgiveness now. So without this sacrificial system, without a way to come to God for forgiveness, the first time you messed up, you break one law, the Bible says you've broken all of the law. And so this is how God makes a way from the very, very beginning. And don't you love this about God? Is that he knows that we're human, right? He knows that we're not perfect. He knows we're gonna make mistakes. He knows that we're influenced by this sin that has come into the world from the very beginning of time. And man, he makes a way for us to come to him with our issues. He makes a way for us to come to him with our faults, with our failures. When we mess up, he's not an angry father, y'all. He's a loving, mighty God who is ready to forgive all of our sin if we would just come before him. Can I get an amen today? He loves us so much. And so what they would do is they would sacrifice certain animals for certain sins. And there was very specific things about that even too. It had to be a spotless, perfect animal. And why would they have to do this? Why would they have to sacrifice an innocent animal it didn't do anything wrong. Like, why would you have to do that? Well, because it taught them that the punishment for sin is death. We see this in the book of Romans. And uh, my, my father, Larry, is actually doing a study over the book of Romans. And I'm real excited for that. So guys, if you want to get involved in that, do that. Uh, Romans is like theology 101, okay? If you want to go through theology, this is it right here. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does this teach us? That the wages of sin is death. This is so important that sin is serious to God. It's a serious offense to God. God being this perfect being that he is. It is very, very serious and it requires a serious punishment. And so if there's to not be a serious punishment, which I know God doesn't want to punish us. We've already established the fact that God loves us and he cares for us and he wants to help us and all that stuff. He doesn't want to have to punish us, right? So if there is to not be a serious punishment, there has to be an equal and opposite path for forgiveness. And that path is through the innocent or the shedding of innocent blood. And God is so perfect, so holy, and sin is so opposed to who he is and to his nature that the Israelites could only have that relationship with him through the cost of an innocent life. 
Some of you might already know where we're going here today, all right? And actually, if I can go ahead and have Sadie come on up. Fast forward to Jesus. Let's go to the New Testament now. So we have this law they've been following. They've been messing up time and time again. They have to come back to God for forgiveness. God, will you please forgive us? He's like, all right, fine. Like, I'll forgive you guys. You know, like, will you please stop doing this? You know, literally you have to think of God sometimes. He is just a parent that's just trying to love on his kids and his kids are just being difficult, okay? Y'all, you're difficult. I'm difficult. We're all difficult people, all right? We all mess up and we all fall short of the glory of God, right? And so God is trying to, to help us and, and yet sometimes we run so far away from him, but, but he's bringing them back every time and he always has forgiveness for them. He's just such a loving and a good father that has grace for them. And then Jesus comes on the scene and what does he start doing? What do you see Jesus right out the gate? He starts healing people. You see blind eyes are opening, deaf ears can hear, the lame are walking and he's preaching that the kingdom of God is here. He literally starts raising people up from the dead and he's teaching and, and he's going into these synagogues and the people are listening to him and he's like, yo, this dude, Jesus is different. This guy is built different, okay? He is not the same kind of guy that we've ever heard before. He is not the same kind of teacher that's come through this town before. He has an authority about him that's a little different than we've ever seen before. And people started to flock to him. As he's healing these people, they said, we've never seen a power like this before. People are flocking to him. And what does that do? That starts to cause some trouble with the higher ups, right? Starts to cause some trouble with the religious leaders that kind of had a, a control over the people, right? With those man-made laws that we were talking about. They had those additional laws and additional restrictions. And, and they had this pious attitude about them that, that we were the ones that people come to when they want to hear about the Lord. We're the ones that people have to come to when they need religious instruction. And then you have this, this guy, Jesus, that just comes out of nowhere and starts basically a revolution of people that are following him around and starting to follow his teachings more than theirs. And they were watching this guy, Jesus, like a hawk. These religious leaders were all over him. I mean, literally, they were like paparazzi with Justin Bieber during his crazy days. You know what I mean? Like there was always some kind of content for them to report back to TMZ. You know what I'm talking about? They were always, always watching Jesus to try to trip him up on something. They always got the camera, always got the iPhones ready on Jesus. Like, hey Jesus, what do you think about this? Trying to trip him up, make, see if he'll say something wrong. Hey Jesus, what do you think about this right here? Or what did you mean by that right there, Jesus? Trying to trip him, trying to trap him in his own words into doing something wrong and yet he never did. But they accused Jesus of breaking some of these very, very important laws that we just talked about, these 613 laws plus in addition laws that they had kind of added in there. And Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day, which is one thing that they thought was wrong. And then another thing, he let his disciples pick some grain to eat on the Sabbath. And there's some other rules and laws and things that they had accused him of breaking. And you know what I think is hilarious? is that Jesus calls out their hypocrisy in such a funny, funny, hilarious way. And that's actually what we're gonna talk about in week three of this series, Jesus the Jokester. And I really want you to come back because that's what we're gonna talk about is Jesus calling out those Pharisees and religious leaders. Oh, it is so, so funny. But he wasn't breaking the law at all. Really, when you go back and look at the law, you can see how they had added these rules and restrictions on top of it. In fact, Jesus in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the, on the Mount says this, the passage we read earlier, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, 
Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that word right there, fulfill, is everything. Everything that we believe as Christians hinges on the fact that Jesus was not there to abolish anything, but he was there to fulfill that law. That everything that we've talked about points to Jesus. And Jesus, the son of God, never done one thing wrong. You know what ends up happening. He gets arrested for crimes he didn't commit because of the pride and the greed of crooked religious men. He gets beaten, he gets whipped, a crown of thorns put on his head and he's nailed to a cross to die. And his blood is shed on that cross. And for thousands of years, man had to kill a pure spotless lamb to come to God for the forgiveness of their sins. Thousands of years, it had been like that. It had never changed. Rigid restrictions, rules. This is how we come to God for forgiveness. And you can imagine, imagine being one of those people that's really messed up, right? And you come to God and you have to take this innocent animal and you say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I, I know I shouldn't have done that. And will you please forgive me, Father? Will you please forgive me for my sins, for what I've done? And I pray that you would accept this sacrifice that I have to make today and they would have to take the knife and kill this animal that's never done anything wrong. And if you just put yourself in that position, it's a heart-wrenching thing to think about. Having to kill this animal for no reason other than for the fact that I've sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Jesus steps into our world takes a look at this law that was so restrictive, takes a look at this law when people had to come to him through a sacrifice. And instead of people having to come to him through a sacrifice, now Jesus decides to become the sacrifice himself. Jesus now was the innocent and pure and spotless lamb. He offered himself up freely for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to live under the rules and restrictions of the law anymore, but now we can live under this beautiful thing called grace. Grace that only comes from Jesus. And now instead of being forgiven by the bloodshed of an innocent animal, we are now saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, can somebody give him praise in the house of God today? Colossians 2, 13 through 14, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Guys, the point of this whole message today is that Jesus was the outlaw that people pinned it against him and said, you're outside of the law. And you know what Jesus said? Absolutely, I'm outside of the law. You know what I'm coming to do? I'm not coming to abolish it, but listen, I'm coming to fulfill it. And I'm going to establish a new way for my people to relate to me so that they don't have to come to me through a sacrifice of an innocent animal anymore. I will make myself that sacrifice. Fulfill the law on your behalf so that you don't have the debt of sin against
against you anymore. And you can come straight to me when you need me. If you need forgiveness, you can go straight to Jesus today, right here, right now. If you need forgiveness in your life, you can come straight to Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't have, there's no intermediary anymore. It's just literally coming straight to God with all your faults, with all your failures, with all of your sin and saying, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And the beautiful thing about it is that there is always forgiveness for those that come to him with a real, true, repentant heart. For those that believe, he stepped into our place where we deserve death and gave us life. It's amazing. Would everybody stand in this place today? What does this all mean for me, Pastor Trevor? Okay, well, you gave us a history lesson, cool. Ancient history, not really my thing. Listen, this is an ancient history. This is very, very important for us to know that this is the law of what used to be, but now we're under something completely different. And to understand what we have now, you have to understand what they had then. To understand what Jesus really did for you, You have to understand what they had to do for themselves first and what Jesus really did for us by changing from the law to now we're under grace. And what does this mean for me, pastor? Well, you know what? It means that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Relate it back to you. For God so loves you right here, right now, person that needs forgiveness. Right here, right now, the person that's far away from God, right here, right now, the person that needs to rededicate their life to Jesus today and get right with God, that he gave his only son, Jesus, the spotless lamb, the sacrifice who put himself up on the cross for you and for me, that whoever believes in him, in that name, Jesus, will not die, but will have eternal life. Listen, I don't want any single person in this place today to not know where you're going. Why? Because heaven and hell are real places, y'all. I hate to break it to you. People don't like to talk about that. But it's a reality that we have to come to terms with. These are real places. And and there is a real God who loves us and cares for us. But there's also Satan. And he's a person that absolutely wants to destroy you. The Bible says he's a thief and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Wants to wreck your life. And I want to make sure that you're on the right side of eternity today. Before you leave, I want to know that every single person here knows where they're going today. And all the law, all the Bible, all what Jesus did on the cross and everything that I've said here today, what does it tell us? It reveals a God who is radically in love with you. A God who wants a personal relationship with you. Listen, pastor, I don't fully understand all this. Neither do I. You think I get every little bit of who God is? You think I can put God in a box and completely understand every last bit of who he is? He wouldn't be much of a God then, now would he? There's this thing called the mystery of God. Some things that we're never gonna understand, but yet I know that God loves me. And I know he loves you. Well, pastor, I've come to church off and on, but I'm just a hypocrite, man. I've just been stuck in this sin. I've been just dealing with over and over and I just feel like I can't get out of this cycle and I'm struggling with doubt and all this stuff. Listen, I was the biggest hypocrite of all. I was working at a church dealing with sin. One of the worst times of my life. Felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. But listen, today is the day that you get that thing out of your life and you rededicate your life to Jesus. Today's the day. Don't go any longer. Today is the day. 
God brought me out of that and he can bring you out of it too. Well, I've done so much, you don't even understand. You don't understand all the things I've done. How could God forgive me? How could he have forgiveness for me? Listen, I did a lot too and God forgave me just fine. You know how many people in the Bible God had to forgive? Moses was a murderer. He forgave him just fine. David was an adulterer and he was called a man after God's own heart. So don't you tell me that your sin is too big for God. Don't you tell me that your problems are too big for God because listen, God is bigger than every single sin that you have in your life. And if you will just come to him today, right now, but I know there's some people in here right now, you feel the presence of God on you. You feel the Holy Spirit in this place today. And you know that that's you. You say, hey, I need to get right with God today. Listen, we have seen over 60 people give their lives to Jesus since we launched this church last year. 60 people. I think that's something we can give God praise for. Absolutely, yes. And we've baptized 21 of those people already. And most of them were not believers or had not been to church in years when they came here. Listen, I don't have a problem if you come from another church. That's totally fine, you know, trying to find a place that fits you and your family. But listen, I am laser focused on reaching people that do not know Jesus, helping them find and follow Jesus. Many of these people did not know him at all when they walked through these doors. Or they hadn't been to church in 15 to 20 years. People that had maybe been, a lot of people had been at the Catholic church their entire life and never stepped foot in the Christian church before. Like, this is so weird. It's so different. The band sounds cool, but I don't know what to do with it. Listen, it's awesome. You know, I understand, but there's so much more to this faith than maybe you even understand. And so walking with them through this process. And now what are they doing? They're growing in their faith. They're growing in their walk with Christ. And they're finding freedom in their everyday lives from their addictions, from their issues, their sins, because they know that they can go to Jesus directly and they can go to their community and their family, the rad fam here, that can help them through all their problems and things that's going on. They're discovering that God has a plan and a purpose for them. And now they're making a difference in the community. There's people that are serving here today, right now, that came, that didn't even know Jesus before they got here. And now they're serving, making a difference and helping you find Jesus today. Isn't that amazing? And there's a family of people that will support you and lift you up when you're down. I'm telling you, we will be that family for you. To teach you about God and the Bible, how to love your wife, love your husband, lead and train your kids and discover God's purpose for your life. Live your life on mission. Live your life with purpose and watch you step into everything that God has for you. But what do you have to do is you just have to say yes. You have to say yes to Jesus first. And as you say yes to him, all of these things will fall into place. I don't understand why I still got my problems. I still got my issues. Listen, Jesus doesn't need you to come to him cleaned up. That's the whole point of coming to Jesus. You come to him first and he'll take care of the rest. Don't wait any longer. Because the Bible says Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself, yours included. He died, went to the grave. But then what's the best part of this story, guys? Come on is that on the third day, he raised himself up from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit lives within you and lives within me. When you find Jesus, he is ready to forgive your sins if you will just ask him today for forgiveness. Now, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you know that you need some forgiveness today, okay? Here's the deal. If anyone calls in the name of the Lord, he will be saved. That's what the Bible says. The grace of Jesus and salvation is not about what you do. 
It's not about having the right words. It's not about having the perfect way of talking or anything like that. It's not about saying the right words, the right way at the right time. It's not about following rules. You don't have to worry about goats in their mother's milk. You don't have to worry about having a tri-blend shirt or anything like that. You don't got to worry about any of that because the law is summed up in these two things that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. That's our law now. Love God, love your neighbor, and there's grace. Isn't that so liberating? Isn't that so freeing? Wouldn't you love to be free of the things that you deal with on a regular basis? Wouldn't you love to have the abundant life that Jesus promises? Well, I believe that you can today. And so I'm gonna ask if there's anyone in this place today that would like to have that freedom, would like to have those fruits of the Spirit in their life, would like to have that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that comes from the Spirit of God when you say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're in this place, you say, hey, pastor, I do need to get my life right with God. I haven't been living the right way. I need forgiveness. I need to rededicate my life. Or maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you feel like a hypocrite in this place today, coming to church, but you know that you've been doing things, not living your life the way that God would, would want, not honoring him and not having that relationship with him. Listen, I'm telling you, he wants to hear from you today. If that's you, I'm gonna encourage you to raise your hand on the count of three and we're gonna go absolutely nuts, okay? I'm telling you, I know there's at least one person out here today that needs to give their life to Jesus. So if that's you, I encourage you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray with you. We're gonna love on you. We're gonna have a big old party after this, all right? So on the count of three, if that's you, you need to get right with Jesus. You need forgiveness today. Would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Is that you? Is there anybody in this place today that needs to be forgiven by Jesus? Come on, I see you right there in the back. Come on, will y'all just give a big shout of praise? Is there anybody else? I wanna see your hand. Come on, is there anybody else? Before we move on, come on. Let's pray right now. Will everybody just say this prayer all together? Dear Jesus, Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for your blood that you shed on the cross for me. I give you my life today and forevermore. You are my Savior, and I love you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. I'm so, so grateful and glad. Thank you so much to all of you that are here today. And I pray that every single one of you knows that God loves you, that he cares for you, and he has a plan for your life. We want to pray with you. We want to be a part of your life. And we hope that you would stick around at Radical Church to see what this next year has to offer. And, and this is how we want to end this service today. Before we party, before we have a great time, we'll get to that. We have all the food. Everything's getting set up out there. There's a song that Pastor Tim brought to me, and he said, hey, we had talked about this, and we'd really love to sing this, this prayer over our people as we go into this next year of Radical Church. And it really, it's called the blessing, and it is a blessing we love to pray over each and every one of you. And so as we sing this, would you just kind of put your arms out in a, in a posture of receiving today? talks about the favor of the Lord being upon you, upon your family, upon your kids. And I want them to sing this over you guys. And if you know the song, sing it out. But really, we want this to be a time for you to receive the blessing of God as we go into this next year of being the Rad family.
May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you, beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you, he is with you in the morning, in the evening, in the coming, and you're going, and you're weeping and rejoicing. He is for you, he is for you. done here today. Thank you that I believe every single person that's here today knows you, God, and and is right with you today. Father, I pray that you would remind them that it's not about rules and regulations. It's not about what they do, but it's about coming to you and having a relationship with you. It's about the grace of your son, Jesus, taking our place where we deserve death 
He gave us life. And so God, we thank you for what you've done here today, that somebody has found you and placed their trust in you today and received forgiveness from you. And I believe that there will be many, many more in the coming years. We know that the best days are ahead of us. And if you believe that, will you say amen today? Amen. Okay, I want to do one more thing before we leave and have a party. We got to sing happy birthday to Radical Church, y'all, because it is one year of Radical Church. All right, guys, the, the worship team, you guys are in charge. We, we, we have poppers up here. So when we get to the end, we're just going to go absolutely nuts. It's going to take forever to clean up, but I don't even care. All right, let's sing it. Where, we, where's the key? Is that our note? Hmm. Me, 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 me. All right. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Radical Church. Estimated 2020 anyway. Happy birthday to Gosh. All right, cleanup team, get on that. No, I'm just <laughs> All right, guys, head out. Have a great time. We'll see you outside. We got.